بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله حمدا كثيرا طيبا مباركا فيه مباركا عليه كما يحب ربنا ويرضى جل جلاله وعم نواله والصلاة والسلام على سيد الحبيب المصطفى صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد We start with a few verses of the Quran تبارك الذي جعل في السماء بروجا وجعل فيها سراجا وقمرا منيرا وهو الذي جعل الليل والنهار خلفة لمن أراد أن يذكر أو أراد شكورا وعباد الرحمن الذين يمشون على الأرض هونا وَإِذَا خَاطَبَهُمُ الْجَاهِلُونَ قَالُوا سَلَامًا وَالَّذِينَ يَبِيتُونَ لِرَبِّهِمْ سُجَّدًا وَقِيَامًا وَالَّذِينَ يَقُولُونَ رَبَّنَا اصْرِفْ عَنَّا عَذَابَ جَهَنَّمَ إِنَّ عَذَابَهَا كَانَ غَرَامًا إِنَّهَا سَاءَتْ مُسْتَقَرًّا وَمُقَامًا we are on Surah Al-Furqan, uh, some of the most well-known verses of Surah Al-Furqan, well-known verses of the Qur'an, and you would have heard them in a number of lectures, probably before as well, uh, from verse 61 onwards. Actually, the story starts a bit before that. Verse 58, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى الْحَيِّ الَّذِي لَا يَمُوتِ وَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِهِ وَكَفَى بِهِ بِذُنُوبِ عِبَادِهِ خَبِيرًا So, Rely on the living one. Rely on the ever-living one. Who doesn't die. Who is the one that lives and never dies? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's a characteristic of Allah. And glorify Him with His praise. Glorify Him with His praise. Do tasbih with hamd. So praise Him and glorify Him. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is well aware, sufficiently aware of the sins of his servants. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes himself a bit more. He's the one who created the heavens and the earth and everything that's in between in six days. And then he did istiwa on the arsh and ar-Rahman. He is the Rahman. He is the most merciful one. And then in the next verse it says, when it said to them to prostrate to the most merciful one, they say, Wamar Rahman. What is this Rahman? They, they're saying this in a sarcastic way. Um, they knew Allah, that name was there. But the other names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala were not necessarily all well known. Or known by them. So that's why they're saying, Wamar Rahman. What is this Rahman? And Rahman, as you know, after Allah is probably one of the greatest names, the most merciful, in a very intense, uh, very, very unique uh, expression of mercy is discussed in Ar Rahman. It's no, no, no normal word, it's a very special word in such a way that you can't call somebody Rahman. 
So my name is Abdul Rahman. I'm very proud of that name because he means Rahman Gabanda, the slave of the most merciful one. May Allah make us of the merciful ones. Give us some of that characteristic. But some people to shorten it say Rahman. And you can't say that. There's some masjid which is Masjid Rahman. Say, I'm going to Rahman. You're not going to Rahman. Well, I mean, I guess maybe you are going to Rahman. You are going to Allah. Um, so you have to be careful with the names of Allah. I just want to clarify something about the names of Allah that the 99 names that we have, only some of them you can't keep for people. The others you can. Right? So Rahman is one of them. It's unique to Allah. But for example, Rahim, you can have somebody's name, somebody else's name is Rahim as well. You don't have to have Abdul Rahim. Likewise, Malik just means sovereign. Allah is the greatest king and sovereign, but you can have other kings on a lower level. So likewise, majority of the names can be used for others and you don't need Abd with them. Okay? Um, on the discussion of names, we should be very careful how we name people. Because name, you know when somebody's calling me Abdul Rahman, Abdul Rahman, somebody's name is Saleh, Saleh, Saleh. Somebody's name is Ahmed, Muhammad, Mahfuz, Hafiz. I believe there's an effect in that. That's why the Prophet ﷺ used to change bad names to good names. If there was no effect in a name, and it's just a name, it was just a label. A name is not just a label. Right? I believe there's something subliminal about it. That when you're constantly saying, Salih, 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 inshallah, there's Salah there. There's piety and goodness that will come about there. Right? So that's why I don't think of names that are going to become the next YouTube sensation. I need to find the most exotic name so they can become a star. That's what some people do nowadays because it's all about branding, isn't it? So we get calls, uh, they find the weirdest names. Uh, Sheikh, can you tell us what this means? I look, I, it's not from Arabic. It's from Ethiopian. Seriously, one name, I forget the name it was, it was from Ethiopian. I said, look, there's nothing wrong with keeping an Ethiopian name, but you know, what are you trying to achieve? So you have to be very careful about the way you call what you call your children. And in England, since we're living in a non-Muslim country, in a different culture, non-Arabs, right? a lot of our names are very difficult to pronounce for people. And sometimes they make a big mess of them. And the name changes, the meaning changes. And sometimes it becomes a really a bad meaning sometimes as well. Uh, you should really be careful about what you call. Make, find easy names, not complicated names. So that people will say them properly. Right? So Yunus is quite easy. Even though you managed to mess it up a bit, right? But it's easy. You're going to get it right from now on. You're never going to say Yunus again, okay? Okay? It's Yunus. Mintunis. There's a famous Yunus in France. He's from Tunisia. So they call him Yunus Mintunis. So that's not Yunus Mintunis, okay? Okay, so they used, to, they used to make fun of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, after describing himself and giving characteristics about himself, that's a sajda verse, so I didn't read it in Arabic, didn't make it obligatory on you. After that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he, he says, Tabaraka ladhi ja'ala fi sama'i buruja. Uh, all of these verses are to show what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does in the heavens and the earth. 
Blessed is he who has uh, put these mansions in the heavens. And the Siraj, which is the, the, the lantern. وَقَمَرًا مُنِيرًا right? And the stars, the illuminated stars. He's the one who makes the day and night. That discussion. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes himself first because they're wondering what is Rahman. So Allah tells them what a Rahman is and what he does. Now the next part is very important for us, which is because we believe in Ar-Rahman. Next part is important. He then tells us who is it, who are the real Allah, uh, the Rahman is such a powerful name and it's such a powerful entity. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is very, very powerful. So what is his effects going to be on the people? How should people be to be his slaves? So remember, he, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying to the non-Muslims who are challenging the, the name Ar-Rahman as well and the concept of God because they did shirk in those days. They, uh, they made partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So here Allah is showing how the effect of Allah is even on his slaves. That the slaves become special and all the points mentioned uh, in the next 12 or so verses, they are the characteristics of the most beautiful person, of the true insan, the true human being. Right. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then starts and he says, وَعِبَادُ الرَّحْمَانِ right. And the first characteristic mentioned here of Rahman is الَّذِينَ يَمْشُونَ عَلَى الْأَرْضِ هَوْنَا Those who walk with humility on the earth. Now that's really interesting. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the focus is not just to say that walk humbly. Don't walk arrogantly. The focus is don't be arrogant. Don't be a show-off. Don't boast and have pride. But be humble and express humility altogether. So why mention how they walk? Because when somebody is sitting there, sometimes, you know, uh, these are all internal traits. Especially humility and arrogance is, is an internal trait. It's a feeling in the mind, right? I feel better than somebody else. I think everybody else is low, despicable, humiliated, disgraced individuals. I am superior. It's a thought in the mind, right? It's a thought in the mind. However, it is such a powerful and negative characteristic that it will become manifest in our behavior. Arrogant people, you can tell their arrogance from the different ways they move around, the way they sit, the way they walk, especially the way they walk. Arrogant people, they walk with a dominance, with a superiority complex. They walk as though they own the earth, that everybody is a slave to them, everybody is below them and beneath them. So that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes it in this way. Just to give an example that those who walk calmly, that's why those people who are humble, they walk calmly. And you can tell by behavior. About Imam Abu Hanifa, one of the scholars' observation after seeing him, he said that he is so intelligent. He is so intelligent that you can even tell that by the way he sits down and by the way he stands. What kind of intelligence is that? Subhanallah, like he is so intelligent that even the way he sits, like when you observe somebody, the way they sit, the way they stand, you can tell how intelligent they are. A lot of the time, you know, when you're so used to somebody, then everything becomes just normal. 
But when you go on a journey or when you go to a new place and you meet a new person, there will be something about them because they're new people to you. You're seeing them for the first time. There's going to be something about them that will give you an idea of how they are, the way they come in, the way they are so dignified. I generally see this in Hajj when you go with people in Hajj and you're living in Mina together. Mina is a very stressful time. It's a huge pressure where you're living in one Qabr space, generally in those tents. And mashallah, then everybody's true character comes out. And subhanAllah, some people you see, they have this amazing humility. You can tell by just the way they are, the place they choose, the way they lay everything out. It's amazing because that's who we are. We are, we generally express what's inside us, right? We can maybe hide it for a short time, a few times, but eventually it has to come out, especially in a journey. That's why Yemenis, they generally, t I don't know if they still do this, but it's a culture among some Yemenis to take their future son-in-law to Umrah with them before they get married. Right? Because right? everything is known through that. Right? When you take somebody on a journey, in, when you're traveling, it's a stressful situation. So that's when your true self comes out, how dignified you are, what you take with you, are you considered, uh, considerate of others and things like that. So walking is really important. Now, some people, subhanAllah, I mean, they might think that I'm not arrogant, but I may walk arrogantly. You know, Wallahu alam, if that's the case. But humility is important. At the end of the day, the earth, يَوْمَئِذٍ تُحَدِّثُ أَخْبَارَهَا بِأَنَّ رَبَّكَ أَوْحَالَهَا The earth is smart. From our modern understanding, the earth is smart. Smart means it has its own intelligence. It has its own sense. As Allah tells us in the Quran, the day when the earth will reveal its news, reveal its information, its data, uh, this was so difficult to understand before. This verse was so difficult to understand before. But now, when your little phone, and we know this now, where Google literally takes everything, every statement you made in there, every button you pressed, and how your phone was, where you were, it's all recorded. Subhanallah. These chips have been available from before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had these chips. And the earth, everywhere we walk, that's why they say pray in different places so that the earth will bear witness for you as well. right? Because the earth will remember you. We will forget where we have been. But on the day of judgment, Allah will have the earth reveal everything. We have too many proofs against us on the day of judgment. The earth will speak. The hearts, that will be revealed, whatever's in the hearts. The angels they will have a record as well. There's no way to escape on Day of Judgment. You can't say that I'm going to be misjudged, I'm going to be oppressed, and I've got the wrong, you know, I, I've got uh, the, 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 the wrong judgment. No, there's too many witnesses. Then the limbs will speak as well. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the limbs, the body speaking. Allah says that we will say to our limbs, لِمَا شَهِدْتُمْ عَلَيْنَا why are you bearing witness against us? Like, if my hand speaks and say, Why are you bearing witness against me? Allah made us speak. So that's why there's no getting away on that day. But this concept of smart objects is old. Right? It's just now we're seeing it in action. 
وَإِذَا خَاتَبَهُمُ الْجَ This is the second, the second thing. And this is really important. If we can do this, inshallah, we can avoid so many arguments and petty conflicts. وَإِذَا خَاتَبَهُمُ الْجَاهِلُونَ قَالُوا سَلَامًا When they come across the ignorant ones. Now, ignorant ones, he doesn't mean somebody who doesn't know the way. He's jahil, he doesn't know the way. Let me tell you the way of how to get to the masjid. No, this ignorant one is the one who acts ignorantly and in a silly way, in a foolish way, to waste somebody's time or to just create a conflict for nothing. A dignified person is qalu salama. Look at the beautiful way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, is that it's the one who will in a dignified way just avert the situation. Assalamu alaikum brother, no problem. Assalamu alaikum brother, let's carry on. It's somebody who understands this. This is very difficult, especially if you're a bit frustrated, you're angry, you're late, you're stressed and you're driving. And somebody says something or somebody doesn't say anything verbally, but they do something with their car in front of you. Do we, is the first thing that we do, do we swear? Do we say something bad to them? That's not salama. Right? Salama needs to be done in a dignified way. Somebody who knows the purpose of his life. So the reason why we do this is because we can easily engage. If you've got nothing better to do, you can go and argue with somebody. Right? You'll pass your time. Some people love arguing. That's their nature. They love to argue. They can argue with you all day, all night. They won't get tired. They thrive on that. But this is a very dignified response. Look, I got no time for this. This is not what I'm going to do. So they diffuse the situation and they move on because they've got better things to do. They've got more useful things to do. The Prophet ﷺ told us about this for Ramadan. He said, if you are approached by an ignorant person in Ramadan or you know, for some kind of argument or some kind of debate or some kind of conflict or whatever it is, just say, I'm fasting. Now, it depends on how you say it as well. I remember there's one brother who used to be in our community in another country. And there was an issue between, two, uh, between him and somebody else. So the other person came to him after Jumu'ah. And he said, brother, Assalamu alaikum, I'm, I'm fasting. So he was trying to follow literally the Quran. I think, Assalamu alaikum, you're a jahil. Assalamu alaikum, you're a jahil. I don't think that's the perspective. It's not to make it worse because that guy is going to get even more. Oh, you think I'm one of the jahils of the Quran now? Maybe you are, but you know, they're going to start thinking, you're calling me jahil. You know, like the, the Quran says jahil. Right. So, of course, you can say, I'm fasting, brother. We're not going to discuss this, these issues we can discuss after Ramadan. Because right. Ramadan is not a time to deal with these kind of uh, issues. Right. So now these are all different. Some of these characteristics are personal. Some of these characteristics are social. Some of these characteristics are physical. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to give a very rounded way of who the servants of Allah are. Okay. And in a short time, we can only give a brief description. Right? We only have a short time, we've got a brief, brief discussion, otherwise, mashallah, ulama have given big discussions and each one of these is a subject on their own. Okay, the third point, Allah says, These are people who spend the night, a portion of their night, in prostration and standing for their Lord. Standing and prostration, that means, of course, in salat, in tahajjud, for their Lord. And mashallah, while it might be difficult to do this because Fajr is day. Throughout the year we pray Fajr, right? If, uh, you know, that's the minimum we do. Tahajjud is difficult for most people. Right? So in the normal days we pray Fajr. Fajr starts at 
the Islamic day. That's why our fast begins at Subh, which means uh, the true dawn. That's morning now. Right? That's morning now. And that's why in many countries you may have seen, I've seen in India when I went there about 20, 30 years ago, that even those people who didn't pray Fajr got up. They didn't pray, but their day started. In England, it's a bit strange because our day starts at 4 o'clock. The Fajr starts at sometimes 1.15 according to some calendars in summer. And otherwise it starts, you know, otherwise you get sunrise at, uh, what is it, 8 o'clock or something in the morning. So it's really confusing. But mashallah, when you get closer to the equator, like in Asia and in Saudi, the, the fluctuation is just very less. Like in Sri Lanka, which is quite close, I think the time only means half an hour. That's it. Isha time only half an hour. And it's easier there. Because you can have a routine. In England, it's very difficult to have a routine. Fajr time is strange time from 4 o'clock down to 8 o'clock. When do you wake up? When you go back to sleep? Allah make it easy for us. But inshallah, we'll get rewarded for the difficulty. So these people, they spend their night in doing that. So this is their personal time with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The first point was social of how we walk on the ground and physical. And um, social interaction. Now this is personal. These are people who have humility. See, it carries on from the one who walks humbly. These are the people who are praying in the darkness of the night, in their own place where they can't show off to anyone. You know, there's people who do tahajjud, nobody ever knows. Because it's done in the house. It's done in the home, in their room. Um, It's Ramadan right now. And these are now times when you can actually spend part of the night. Because we wake up for suhoor. Gone are those days when, you know, the, the last few years were such that you could actually spend the whole night. There were many people, you know, especially if you did the early suhoor, that from Maghrib to Fajr, you had the same wudu, and you were literally in worship because there was no time to do anything else. Iftar, and then some Quran reading, Taraweeh. After Taraweeh, if you are lucky, you get some tahajjud prayer, do suhoor, and that's it. Back to Fajr, right? Those were beautiful days, mashallah. They've gone now. Now we have to wait another 30 years for them. But alhamdulillah, may Allah accept from us. Then, now, see, Allah then says, وَالَّذِينَ يَقُولُونَ رَبَّنَا صْرِفْ عَنَّا عَذَابَ جَهَنَّمْ إِنَّ عَذَابَهَا كَانَ غَرَامًا Those who say, our Lord, this is the dua they make, turn away from us the punishment of hellfire. So they're worried about the hereafter. They're not people of just the world. They're worried they, they are believers in the hereafter. See, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't say those who believe in Allah in the last day. He described the actions of people who believe in Allah in the last day. That these are the actions of people who are believers. So they're worried about the hereafter. And then they say that the suffering, the punishment of the hereafter is a major suffering. The word gharam is used in different meanings. It means something that sticks to something, that constantly is with something else. That's why... They use this word as a debt, a burden. You know, when you have a debt, you are constantly in a burden. It's like you've got a weight on your head. Especially if the people are asking for their money. You you know, imagine if you had to carry a physical burden. That's difficult. Now, when you have a debt on your head and people want their money and you're struggling to pay it off, that's a difficult... It's like you don't have any weight on your head, but you have a weight on your head. It's worse than a physical weight. That's why the Prophet used to make dua for protection from Ghalabatul Dain and Qahrul Rijal. From 
overwhelming debt. You, you can't manage it. Allah, Allah protect us from debt. Today, people are getting into debt left, right and centre. And not just normal debt, but interest-bearing debt. Haram debt. Right, just to get a better life. Just to get a better life. And, you know, we would have thought that as people are getting more righteous and more attached to the masjid, that this would stop. But people don't think about it too bad. Of, of doing this. May Allah relieve of us this. I know house prices are, you know, crazy. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala relieve us of this. Innaha sa'at mustaqarra wa muqama. What an what a evil place Jahannam is. What an evil place uh, Jahannam is. And then it comes back to family issues now, generally. وَالَّذِينَ إِذَا أَنْفَقُوا لَمْ يُسْرِفُوا وَلَمْ يَقْتُرُوا وَكَانَ بَيْنَ ذَلِكَ قَوَامًا Those when they spend, they, they're not wasteful. They're not excessive. Israf means going beyond the limit, spending where there's no need to spend, and spending in the wrong. Three things. Going beyond the had, beyond the limit. So some, t- some people, they buy too much extra and then they throw it away. This is a major problem in the West where we, people are buying too much and then they just throw it away. So one needs to be very careful. If you can't eat something, give it to someone else. Plan it from before. Make use of it. Don't let your children, for example, remove the edges of bread and throw that away and spoil them like that. Right? It's not what you do. That's not right. right? Because this is all sustenance. And the world is going to suffer because we're doing this too much. Right? So when they spend, they don't go over the limit. They don't spend their money in the haram. They don't spend, in, they don't spend to show off. And... وَلَمْ يَكْتُرُوا And they're also not stingy. They are a balance between them. They're not stingy. Now you know, stinginess is a very, very bad character. اِقْتَار uh, r- this, uh, this concept of qatar refers to stinginess. Stinginess is where you don't spend where it's necessary for you to spend. Where is it necessary for you to spend? Give me one place where it's necessary for somebody to spend. Zakat. Right? Zakat. So, zakat is necessary. Sadaqah is recommended. Right? And then spending for your family is also necessary. Spending on people who spend on you as mutual gift giving is recommended. So, ulama mentioned that miserliness and stinginess is when you don't spend where it's wajib to spend, recommended to spend, or socially demanded to spend. It's a dictate or demand of common decency. This is what people do. For example, everybody gives your children Eidi. Do you know what Eidi is? Mawlana Mahfuz does, but do you know what Eidi is? Oh no, man. Have you never got Eidi before? Eid is Eid gift. You get Eid gifts, don't you? Okay. This guy's so honest, mashallah. Allah bless him, man. Eid gifts are called Eid in some cultures. All right. So you receive your children receive Eid gifts, but you don't give it to anybody else. You say, brother, this is bid'ah. It's not in the Sunnah to give Eid gifts. 
or you have people, you know, in, especially in Ramadan, people send your, your f- uh, food to your home. You don't send anywhere else. You go to a restaurant to eat with your friends. And when, it, when you finish the food and it comes time to pay, you go to wash your hands. <laughs> I'm not giving bad ideas here, okay? I'm not teaching you bad things. You know what? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what we have to remember is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates us all with different characteristics. If you look at, if there's a family of three brothers and sisters, they will all be different. There will be some things, they're all the same, but there will be, one will be a bit more intelligent than the other. One will be a bit more laid back than the other. Another one will be a bit more angry than the other. One will be very brave compared to the others, right? One will be stingier than the other ones. And Allah gives every one of us, and we can assess ourselves, Allah gives every one of us some good qualities and some challenges. Now, we're not sinful for being naturally stingy. If you're naturally stingy and you find it difficult to spend just by nature and some, you know, like that, you're not sinful for that. You're sinful when you don't spend where you're supposed to spend. If you allow that stinginess to stop you from spending. For example, you don't spend zakat, that's haram. Where there's, mashallah, there's a, a fundraising for an important place and everybody's crying and they're giving money and you, should I give, should I give, I want to give, I don't want to give. That's stinginess. Or like the gifts to one another, sending food, common decency. Somebody needs something, you're not willing to share even though you got extra. That's all stinginess. You see, for women, maybe it's, uh, it's still bad to have stinginess in anything, right? But for men, it's worse because men have to spend on women, on their wives. Uh, you know, in the Sharia, if my children have their own money from inheritance or something, I can spend their money on them. That's my right to do that. I don't have to spend my money, I can spend their money on them. But if my wife is a millionaire, I still have to spend on her. It's my obligation of nafaqa. I have to, even if she's a millionaire, I can't tell her, you spend your money on the essentials. Yes, if she wants luxury items, then you spend your money. You know, it's the really interesting that the wife, the husband is responsible in Sharia, even if she's a millionaire, but for children or anybody, if they have their own money, you're not obligated to spend. They can spend of theirs. So I got a call from some husband and wife. They have a few problems. One big problem was that he's, she's saying the husband is too stingy. So what do you mean? He said, all the furniture is so old. It's just about surviving. Like we have to be careful the way you close the door. Otherwise it might fall off. So I spoke to the husband. Now this is not antique furniture that it's valuable. It's just, you know. Um, and he said, hey, it works. It works. Right? I said, look, you know, you get a sadaqah to have, to, if you've got the money, it's sadaqah to, you know, to spend on your family and not give people difficulty. And then another thing was that she wanted, she was read, uh, she became a bit health conscious. So she said, I want to have, all I'm asking, I want to have uh, organic milk. The normal milk, I think it's bad, I don't know. She read about this. And organic milk, maybe it's better. And it costs about 30, 40 pence more than the regular milk. 
So I spoke to the husband. I said, look, we, we need to sort this out because this is causing big issues. So I said, how much milk do you use a week? So he said, this much. So we made hisab. I made an account. I said, in a year, maximum, it's going to cost you maybe 50, 60 pound extra. Why are you causing a conflict because of this? Right? Don't be so stingy. And mashallah, you know, in terms of our families, why Allah said don't do israf, because a lot of people, they do israf with their families. They go overboard. But spending on your family, you get it's sadaqah. If I give money to Gaza, I get inshallah reward. If I spend on my family, I have to anyway. I get reward for it. It's a sadaqah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, so these are the people who are, they're not stingy and they don't go overboard. They don't show off with their money either. Now there's a number of things mentioned in this verse. They do not call to any other deity or object of worship besides Allah. They don't take anything else as an object of worship. They don't kill the nafs. They don't kill another human being. They don't commit murder which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made haram. Unless with its right. So in its right would mean an eye for an eye, you know, a, a death for a death. And uh, there's other things which happen in Islamic State. That's the discussion. وَلَا yaznoon, And they do not commit zina. Zina is unfortunately too easy nowadays. The society is so degenerated in that sense. It's so loose and so permissive that it's so difficult for people to avoid. There are many, many marriages which are uh, on the brink because, and uh, it's, I think it's increasing. I mean, I billah. I get so many like, my husband has committed, how do I forgive him? Uh, uh, wives find it very difficult. I mean, wives can do this as well. I've had cases like that as well, but it's a very difficult. It's a matter of trust. It's a matter of trust. It's a massive betrayal of trust. It's not halal. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you see, look at this. With everything else, Allah just mentions it and moves on. In this case, when he came to zina, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decided to say a few additional things. He says, whoever does this, they will have sin. They will attain a lot of sin. And then uh, you can tell Allah is very angry here. He says, يُضَاعَفْ لَهُ Adab, The punishment will be multiplied. On the day of judgment, Yomal Qiyamah, and they will remain in there forever. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always, Allah never condemns anybody in the Quran. He always gives you a way out. The purpose of the Quran is targheeb and tarheeb. Persuasion and dissuasion. Always. You will never see somewhere where Allah says they're going to hell and not give a way out. There's always whenever there's discussion about paradise, there's always going to be a discussion about punishment. Even a small and where there's discussion about uh, punishment, there's always at least one verse about tawbah or coming back to Allah. It's always like that. The balance is always there. So Allah says, Except those who repent and believe properly and do good deeds. For these people, Allah will actually turn all of their bad actions into good ones. So all the bad actions we did, which had a balance, that will become good now. Allah is very generous. When somebody turns back to Him, Allah loves it. And He gives in abundance. He gives in abundance. 
even the person in hellfire who recognizes Allah and who says Allah promised X, Y, and Z, Allah will relieve him of hellfire. Right? So Allah loves it that when a person turns back to him because they departed from Allah when they did wrong. Allah reminds people Allah is most forgiving and most merciful. And then he carries on. It's like Allah stopped describing the characteristics and gave this advice in between. And those who do tawbah, repent to Allah, do good deeds, Allah will accept their tawbah. And then he carries on with the characteristics. So, these are people who do not give witness false witness they don't lie they don't give false witness you know false witness in this world spoils the whole society you can't have justice you know in some countries alhamdulillah in this country i mean you have problems everywhere but at least you have some amount of justice it's very difficult to get away with things you can't just pay your way through like in some countries even to get your right you have to pay the judge uh, you know, when they tell you the stories of this, it's, it's heart rendering. And that's why there's no stability. If you want stability in, in the earth, you have to have justice. Because uh, it's through stability that the earth functions. Because whenever something becomes imbalanced in the world, the, the world goes wrong. You know, the weather and everything goes wrong. That's why justice is very important. And when they go by something which is redundant, which is useless, which is not of any benefit, they go by nobly. They don't go by dismissively necessarily, but they go by nobly. Again, it's similar to what we said earlier, right? About dealing with the foolish people and so on. And then it says, Those people, when they're reminded of their Lord, whenever they listen to a nasiha, when they listen to some advice, a Quranic verse, a hadith, or a lecture, or a bayan, or something like that, they don't jump onto it in a blind in a deaf and blind way. Now, what does this mean exactly? This means that they, they do things in a considered, considered way. Unlike the mushrikeen, they used to be indiscriminate. Their, their traditions used to say that you must do this for your God. It made, they used to just do it in an indiscriminate, blind, fanatical way. The deen doesn't want us to be fanatical about our faith. He wants us to be proper on our faith, but not fanatical. So this is saying that they, we do this and we understand what we're doing. We have belief in what we're doing. We do it in a way which has a good understanding of our deen. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to fulfill our faith in that way. And then uh, the final one is going back to family life. And this is, uh, subhanAllah, this is, includes a dua. And those who say, Our Lord, Rabbana Habalana min Azwajina, Wadurriyatina, Kurrata Ayun, Wajalna lil Muttaqina Imama. Those who say, Our Lord, grant us from our spouses and our Dhurriya, those which are the gladness of our eyes, those which cool our eyes, and make us Imams of the Muttaqeen. Azwaj, which means spouses. So husband can read this for wife or wives, wife can read this for husband. And dhurriya, what does dhurriya mean in Arabic? The next word, azwaj means spouses, but what does dhurriya mean? This is the amazing thing about this word, it's amazing, right? I've, I've always found this fascinating. Dhurriya means your descendants. Everybody until the day of judgment that will come from you. Right? How many of you are grandparents? How many of you have grandchildren? 
Anybody has grandchildren here? MashaAllah. How many grandchildren do you have? MashaAllah. Allah bless them all. Now, your five grandchildren, they're just going to multiply. You can't stop them anymore. It's gonna, but they're all going to be your grandchildren. And then we're going to be gone from this world and the grandchildren will continue. And if this dua becomes accepted, then they will be the gladness of our eyes both in this world and the hereafter, inshallah. This is an amazing dua. It's a magical dua. In fact, they say that if you have issues with your spouse, even if you don't have issues, you should still read this because you can always enhance. Because you're saying that, oh Allah, make our spouses and our children and descendants the coolness of our eyes. So when we see them, we're just like, mashallah. Alhamdulillah. Like, I'm so lucky. I'm so fortunate. And then the main thing, on Day of Judgment, you'll get up and say, this is your great, 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 great grandson or grand, granddaughter. They did this great thing. Inshallah. Because we don't want kufr in our descendants. We don't want the fitna of atheism and all of this that's going on now in our grandchildren. We're going to be gone, but who's going to look after them? Allah will look after them. Make this dua several times a day, multiple times a day. Also, another thing it says is that if you have issues with your spouse or your children, keep reading this dua. Either Allah will remove their problems so that it won't bother you anymore. It'll be removed or he'll make it insignificant that it won't bother you anymore. Beautiful dua. And make us muttaq, uh, imams of the muttaqeen. Now, this imam doesn't have to be imam of the masjid. It can be imams of my family. I am an imam in my family. Everybody, every father is an imam. Every mother is an imam in their family. So we're saying that make us imams of righteous ones. That means make my family righteous. The people I'm in charge of, make them righteous. It's a beautiful dua. Keep reading this. It's a very, very powerful dua. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala finishes off by saying... These are the people who will be gifted, recompensed, rewarded by these high chambers, the chambers of paradise. Because they did sabr. All of this stuff requires sabr. It requires, uh, sabr doesn't mean just patience in musibat. Uh, sabr here means uh, steadfastness as well, constancy. All of this is sabr in Arabic. Uh, and they will acquire uh, and receive in their greetings and peace and they will be in there forever what a wonderful and beautiful place and excellent place it is and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala finishes off uh, that, that's the end of the descriptions there and then there's one more verse and then the surah finishes may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us the true ibadur rahman we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for this during this month let us make a quick dua اللهم أنت السلام ومنك السلام تبارك يا ذا الجلال والإكرام اللهم يا حي يا قيوم برحمتك نستغيث اللهم يا حنان يا منان لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إنا كنا من الظالمين يا معدن الجود والكرم يا أكرم الأكرمين ويا خير المسؤولين ويا خير المعطين ويا ذا الجلال والإكرام يا الله have your mercy on us oh Allah bless us oh Allah forgive us oh Allah cleanse us and purify us oh Allah we ask you for your generosity for your benevolence oh Allah from your compassion, O oh Allah, from your rahmah and your mercy. This is the month of mercy. This is the month of generosity. O oh Allah, O oh Allah, you are giving to so many people. O oh Allah, do not deprive us. Allow this Ramadan to be better than any Ramadan before it. O oh Allah, allow us to become your ibad. O oh Allah, allow us to become your true servants. O oh Allah, it's difficult, it's challenging. O oh Allah, make it easy for us. O oh Allah, maintain us on our faith, maintain us on our character, and accept our little worships that we do, and allow us to do more. O oh Allah, allow us to do more, and allow us to rise on the day of judgment, to be among your beloved ones. 
Oh Allah, make us among your beloved ones. Oh Allah, grant us your love and the love of all of those things which will benefit us in your court. Oh Allah, we ask you to send your abundant blessings on our messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Grant us his company in the hereafter. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun wa salamun ala al-mursaleen wa alhamdulillah. The point of a lecture is to encourage people to act, to get further, an inspiration, an encouragement, persuasion. The next step is to actually start learning seriously, to read books, to take on a subject of Islam and to understand all the subjects of Islam, at least at their basic level, so that we can become more aware of what our deen wants from us. Uh, and that's why we started uh, Rayyan courses, so that uh, you can actually take organized lectures uh, on demand whenever you have free time, especially, for example, the Islamic Essentials uh, course that we have on there, the Islamic Essentials certificate, which you take 20 short modules and at the end of that inshallah you will have gotten the, the basics of uh, most of the most important topics in Islam and you'll feel a lot more confident. You don't have to leave lectures behind, you can continue to, leave, uh, you know, to listen to lectures but you need to have this more sustained study as well. Jazakallah khair and assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.